my great-grandmother got married, she went on her honeymoon in a covered wagon. Yeah, full-on Oregon Trail, Conestoga wagon pulled by two horses. And that's like Little House on the Prairie stuff. It seems so long ago, and yet it's a part of my memory. Now, it was years before I was born, but she was around for me to talk to, and so it really hasn't been that long. And then here's something that'll really blow your mind about how kind of fungible time is. Because even 2,000 years ago, in some ways, it's not that long. So this is gonna blow your mind. Cleopatra, the Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt, actually lived nearer to the invention of the iPhone than she did to the Great Pyramid of Giza. Mind blown, right? So crazy. And not too long after Cleopatra, you get Jesus. And some people thought that this whole Jesus thing was brand new. So people were trying to figure out who he was and what that meant. Is it something new? Is he the founder of a new philosophy? Is he a prophet? Is he crazy? Is he a religious teacher? In fact, Paul has this whole section in the book of Acts that's devoted to this discussion that he has with a bunch of Athenian philosophers about this new philosophy that Paul is talking about. And they're all wondering, who is Jesus? What is he about? And that's still a good question for us today. And during this Advent and Christmas season, you just can't get away from Jesus, no matter how secular you are. He might be portrayed as benign and harmless, or just symbolic, like a religious Santa Claus, although, ironically, Santa Claus, even his name is from the Christian tradition. Or maybe there's something more going on there. I mean, as I wander around, I hear a, lot, a whole lot of Gloria in Excelsis Deos and the little Lord Jesus out there when, you know, that it's just in the secular world. But John says, if you want to know who Jesus is and what's really going on, you have to go back to the beginning and actually even before that. So let's look at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's pick up on a couple of ideas in John's text that he's kicking around. First of all, the opening words, in the beginning. John's explaining who Jesus is and what he came to do. And to get the full picture, he goes back to the beginning. 
because this isn't something that just cropped up overnight. This Jesus story isn't about a dude who went for a walk in the woods and found some new enlightenment. The Jesus story goes back so far, it even predates time. Now, if you want to, you can believe that the world was created in 2002 BC on a Tuesday afternoon, that's fine. But for me, it's infinitely ancient. The thing that I know and the point that John is making is that whenever it happened, it wasn't by accident. So in the very first line of his gospel, John wants you to immediately think of Genesis because every Jewish person to whom this was written when they heard in the beginning, they knew those words. They knew that that was from the book of Genesis and was to conjure up images of this all starting with God. But then John writes something surprising. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before there was anything that is, Jesus was there with God because Jesus is God. And that's where John begins his gospel. So when we think of Jesus coming at Christmas or in the second coming, we need to understand that this is actually God who's coming to us. When we see Jesus, we're seeing God. When we hear the Jesus story, we're seeing the story and the plan of God. And there's a couple of reasons that John goes way back to the creation accounts in Genesis. Because he's asking the question, how did everything get here? And the answer is, God put it there. Now, I just want to get right out there. Believing that God created the heavens and the earth requires a leap of faith. But you've got to take a leap of faith no matter what you believe. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe in God, or whether you are strictly science, even science, when you get back to the beginning, requires a leap of faith. Because science cannot answer the question, how did things begin? And what happened right before the moment where everything came into existence? Science can take us back to that moment, but it can't take us back before that. And so both of those things have, require a leap of faith. And you have to look at the beginning, and you have to look at the end, and you have to decide where you want to land. You have to decide which leap of faith you want to take. So what John is talking about is that all of this is created with a plan. And historically, when theologians have talked about this, they've talked about how God, eternally existent as three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had so much love among themselves that they wanted to create something that they could share their love with. And so they created people, which tells us right from the beginning that God's predisposition is to love us. And in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it famously says that the chief end of humanity is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. So you can take a leap of faith into this God who loves you, who is creating a world of peace and wholeness, or you have to take a leap into basically chaos and meaninglessness. Both of those require a leap of faith, and you just have to decide which leap you want to take. And next, John wants to deal with who is this God who created everything? What can we know about him? Well, we can know some things from creation. I mean, Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament, which is not the earth, it's the sky, shows all of his handiwork. 
And most of us who get to live in this beautiful place have experienced the majesty of God in his creation. You know, you go out for a hike and you're surrounded by these glorious fir forests and you hear, you know, the wind and you see the mountain and you see the sound and the orcas and just all the crazy beauty that's around us. And so many times you're like, how can there not be a God? So we see the majesty of God revealed in creation. And of that creation, John writes in verse 3, through him, Jesus, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So even creation is a testimony to the presence of the word of God. And God also reveals himself to us in Jesus. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. So what do we learn if we look at Jesus? Well, there's three things that I want to hit. We learn about the creating God. I mean, we see the majesty of his creation. And the story of Genesis tells us that God speaks all of this into existence, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. And that's important because it speaks to the creative power of God that he doesn't have to use building blocks. It exists simply because God spoke it into existence. The sun rises, the sun sets, everything, infinite creativity, infinite beauty. It all comes from God, the creator. It also speaks of purpose. Everything that isn't here isn't because there are billions and billions of years and sooner or later the atoms were all going to align anyway. It's not accidental, it's purposeful. And if all of this is purposeful, it also means that you're not accidental, that you have purpose, that you have meaning, that your very existence had significance. You were created by someone for something, and that is important. The creating God is also the God who sustains everything. When Paul addresses those philosophers philosophers in Athens that I mentioned a few moments ago, he says to them, you've said about one of your own gods, in him we live and move and have our being, but I'm here to tell you that that's true of Jesus. This God who created everything is the God who is sustaining everything. I like the way Paul says it in Colossians. Essentially, he says Jesus is holding it all together. In Colossians 1.15, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also redeeming everything. When things seem to be coming apart at the seams, we cling to the fact that God is holding it all together. And if you remove Jesus from the equation, it's kind of like you remove the glue. And that's why things tend to fall apart. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a return to our culture of, yes, of a yesterday that I'm not sure ever existed. I'm talking about that when people decide to follow someone or something besides Jesus or decide to walk away from Jesus, things seem to fall apart. I mean, look at your life at some of the most difficult moments. How would things have looked differently if you didn't believe that God was walking through that valley with you? 
How would it be different if God didn't show up during difficult times through his people to support you when you had nothing left to give? I think you walk in the Jesus way and you find life and health and purpose and hope and joy. You walk away and things start to fall apart because Jesus holds everything together. I truly believe that. And this sustaining God, who is also holding all things together, is also the redeeming God. And that speaks to the plan that John is talking about, this plan of redemption. And this is, uh, there's this wonderful little line towards the end that I think encapsulates this, about how God is making all things new. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I mean, this is entirely unique that God would enter into our lives to help us. I mean, what kind of God does that? Other theological systems have God who have entered into human lives, but it's generally to wreak havoc. We've got the only God who steps into our lives to experience our lives with us. What kind of God does that? John says, look at Jesus. That kind of God does it. The creating God is the sustaining God, and he is the redeeming God. And that's breathtaking. The Greek here about uh, the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us is much, much richer. The word actually means to camp. It, it's literally saying God comes in and puts his tent up next to yours. Now, I don't know if you camp. I like to go camping. And this last year, Allie and I went on this great camping trip, and we were sound asleep in this beautiful campground in Big Sur, and at one o'clock in the morning, about four trucks pulled in, and these people unloaded all their gear as if it was 10 o'clock in the morning. They're tossing things around, making all kinds of noise. They were not the kind of people that you wanted to come in and pitch a tent next to yours. God's not like that. And it, but it's just this rich image because there, there's not a whole lot of barrier between people in tents. I mean, you're experiencing things together. Some of you have had neighbors who are nightmares and you know what it's like when somebody moves into the neighborhood that you don't want. But God moves into your neighborhood. God moves next to you in the campsite and it's only good. And think about what is tied up in that. What does it mean that he comes into your neighborhood or moves next door to you in your camp? It means that he shares your life. What affects you will affect him because he's your neighbor. The crazy thing about the incarnation is that this is God who has moved in next door to us, who has chosen to share our lives and be a part of what goes on with us. I read an essay about Christmas, and I love this one line in it. It said, did Mary ever pause and think, that's God eating my soup? I mean, it's just the incarnation is crazy like that. The God of the universe moves into human form and moves into our neighborhood. If Jesus is just a good teacher, if he's a great life coach or a dude that founds a new philosophy, that's marginally helpful. But that's not who John says he is. John says he's God. That's me, that means that he's sharing life with you, but from a position of power. It's great to have somebody that will be together with you. It's better to have God because God is in control of everything. Not some disembodied spirit, but Jesus here among us. And then John uses this strange concept 
about Jesus being the Word of God. It's kind of an interesting way to explain things. It's, the word is logos in Greek, and it goes way down into deep, deep Greek philosophy. And I don't even understand it. We could spend years trying to talk about it, but I don't think that's really what John is talking about. I think he picks up the Greek philosophical argument, but that's not really the rabbit hole he wants us to go down. The important point that I think John is making is that words are what we use to communicate. So God sends his word so that he can communicate to us. So he gives us the Bible, you know, the Word of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament. That certainly is God's word to us. But he gives us his most complete word in Jesus. He communicates most fully about his plan, his purpose, his character, everything he is. He communicates that most fully in Jesus. And some of the things that are revealed about Jesus are what John picks up next. In verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the life, and Jesus makes this claim. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't think Jesus does that to be exclusionary, but to point out the amazing display of God's love. God has made a way for us to connect to him. And that comes to us in the Christmas story when Jesus is revealed to us as the life. And he's also revealed to us as the light. Light is incredibly important. A couple of years ago, I got dressed, I went into our closet, took, took a shower, not in the closet, did that in the bathroom. And then after I took a shower, went into the closet to get dressed, and Megan was still asleep, so I didn't turn any lights on, because I had already laid my clothes, I just needed to go in and get a pair of shoes, and I'm like, I, I can put shoes on in the dark, I've done it long enough. And so I came to church, and I was standing up here, and I looked down, and I realized that I had two different pairs of shoes on. One shoe was black, and one shoe was more of that cardamom oxblood kind of thing. And I was just hoping and praying that nobody would notice, but people noticed. So light is very helpful because it shows you the way. It shows you what's there. It helps you to keep from making mistakes. It helps us to see clearly. And that's what it's talking about in Jesus. Jesus helps us to see clearly. Jesus helps us to avoid mistakes that could be catastrophic because he gives us the light and helps us to see. But there's also this promise that the darkness will not overcome us. I think that's incredibly important for us right now because there seems to be darkness all around us. But in what we've called the God factor over the last couple of weeks, we remember that God's presence with us changes things. We have the perspective to be able to see the light that's coming to us. And then John goes on to say, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think it's important that John reminds us that that really characterizes Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. We desperately need grace, but we also need truth. We need them together, and that's what Jesus brings us. Grace is restorative. Grace changes us. Grace heals us. Grace gives us second chances. Grace heals our relationships. Grace makes things new. But have you ever been around a child who's never been told no? 
Have you ever been around an adult who only thinks of themselves? Have you ever known anyone who takes no personal responsibility for anything? That's how grace can be twisted. Grace needs truth. But truth can become brutal. Truth can be wielded like a club. We live in a time of misinformation. We live in a time where people are happy to pass along unsubstantiated rumors, where, uh, where people will share their opinions unencumbered by facts. But you can't have a relationship without truth. You can't run an organization without truth. And there's another aspect of truth that's really important also. It's one of the great glories of Christianity because it shows us the truth about ourselves. We learn that we have infinite value. We have infinite worth. We learn that our lives, the truth that our lives have meaning and purpose. We also learn the truth that sometimes we're a mess, but that God loves us enough that he wants to fix the mess of our lives. Life and light, grace and truth. That's what God is like. And he shows us that in Jesus. And I love the fact that in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The verb tense in the Greek is that the light is appearing. It's moving towards us. Light is approaching even in the darkness. And that is such good news. The light is coming. Whatever darkness you're facing, the light is coming. But there's also another meaning there, and that is that the light is appearing, but it's appearing through you and through me, through all of us. God communicates through his word. God communicates through Jesus. And now God communicates through us. And sometimes I think we overcomplicate this when we think about talking about our relationship to Jesus, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, when we think about sharing our faith, I think we overcomplicate it. Sometimes I think we just need to be kind. Sometimes I think it's just about responding pleasantly in a world where there's so much anger. Sometimes it's noticing the need around you, noticing people exist. I've just been so impressed over the last couple of weeks as I've heard and talked and read on social media to so many of you and have seen the way that you've reached out to neighbors, you've cared for people in the community and in your family and around the world. Some of you invited people who were going through really difficult times, extended hospitality, invited them to be with you for the holidays. Other of you have seen needs in the community. Sometimes you didn't even know anybody was watching, and they were. And you've found ways to encourage people. You've found ways to meet a need. And I think that's how we show the light. We do it all in the name of Jesus. But sometimes it's just basic human decency that stands out as light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus isn't just the advice giver. Jesus isn't just the comfort giver when we're hurting. The baby lying in the manger is the eternal God, all like shrunk down into a little tiny body. And that shrinking down of God into a little tiny body really gives us the only hope that we would ever be able to wrap our minds around who God is. Because otherwise, you take God out of the incarnation it's really hard to wrap your mind around that. 
but this God who has shrunk himself down into a baby, into the incarnate word, into Jesus, is really the best hope that we have. So let me ask you three questions. Who is Jesus primarily to you? A good life coach? A comforting presence? The founder of a philosophical tradition? Or God? Number two, in what areas of your life do you need the light and life of Christ? And number three, to whom can you bring the light and life of Christ this week? Mm -hmm.